graduation in the military, she had to get it. And she got COVID like a month later. It's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you 
blinking and I like a little white. It's quite loose. I'm like, how do we get loose? Um, I'm like, oh, sorry, I was talking to you.
Good morning. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. Let's look at our announcements. Offerings in the offering box, uh, as usual. Andrea's number, days of praise, uh, along with acts and facts are here. Make use of those. Pray for the work on the portico. Communion service, December the 5th. I can't count how many Sundays that is. Is that two Sundays away? Two Sundays away. So prepare for that. Uh, video series tonight at 6 p.m. and uh, finger foods for that. Anything else that... Oh, Dale wanted me to mention Christmas dinner. I don't know anything about it or where it's going to be or how much it costs or who's going to be there, but there's going to be one. So we're going to work out the details and 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 get... Yeah, for sure. It uh, uh, it's It's getting towards that season. Have you noticed? It's at my house. Come on. We got, we have, we have acres and acres of room. So, no problem. Bring some water. <laughs> bring, bring enough for you and for me. So, I did want to thank you all for praying for us, particularly last weekend as we traveled. Um, we had a, a bit of an adventure, but it was, in hindsight, kind of fun and uh, a little harrowing, so uh, you've already figured out that we made it, so 
Thank you for that. All right, then. Our scripture for meditation, Song of Songs, uh, uh, chapter 5, 10 through 16. That's 1055 in the Pew Bible. Let's stand together and ask the Lord to bless us as we would you Would you ask the opening of the service today? Me? Yeah. Yes, Dear Father, Lord, we just, we come before you today and we just thank you for another, another week on your earth. Um, we thank you for the coming holidays. Um, Lord, we just pray that you use this opportunity as a reminder. swept up in the, the hustle and the bustle. Um, help us to focus our minds where they're supposed to be, Lord. Be with us, be with our families, be with us as we spend time with our families. Help us to make good use of this time. Help us to reflect on you and all the things that you give us on a daily basis. Father, we just praise you. We thank you. We pray for the word that is going to be given today. Lord, we just 
Good morning. Will you take your brown hymnal and turn to number one? Number one in the brown.
Scripture reading this morning is taken from Genesis, the 24th chapter, and we'll be reading 29 through 38, and then over to 49 through 67. That's page 35. Genesis 24, verses 29 through 38, and again 49 through 67. <clears throat> now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and had heard Rebekah tell what the man said to her. He went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by Jehovah, he said, why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house, and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him. But he said, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly. And he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle silver and gold, men servants and maid servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has <coughs> given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I live. But go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. <clears throat> 49 through 67. Now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from Jehovah God. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as Jehovah has directed. When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before Jehovah. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, Send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, Let the girl remain with us ten days or so, then you may go. 
But he said to them, Do not detain me. Now that the Lord God Jehovah has granted success to my journey, send me on my way so I may go to my master. And they said, Let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebekah and asked her, Will you go with this man? I will go, she said. So they sent their sister Rebekah on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, O sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Bir Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate. And as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Father in heaven, may you bless the reading of this word, that it be to our good and to your glory. In the name of Christ, amen. If you take your red hymnal, Trinity, and turn to number 708, 708 in the Trinity.
Thank you. Our scripture text this morning is Genesis chapter 24. Our last study in the subject matter of the patriarchs followed the footsteps of Eliezer, Abraham's home steward, as he sought out a bride for Isaac among Abraham's relatives in Ur. He extracted from Abraham all of the particulars for his search and the conditions whereby he might obtain a bride for Isaac before he would swear under oath to take on the commission. Having settled the exact requirements Abraham enumerated, Eliezer loaded ten camels with, verse 10, all kinds of good things. Those things would become Isaac's dowry for his intended bride. His fleece, or his tess, could put it that way. Verse 14, may it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, And she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you, Lord, have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Scripture says that Rebekah showed up before Eliezer had time to even finish his prayer. Absolutely marvelous. Scripture says that Eliezer could do no better than bow and worship the Lord, verse 26. Yeah, he was overwhelmed. Why? Because God had led him to the very house of Abraham's relatives. We drew out a number of lessons on love and hospitality. Number one, marriage for believers must be with another believer of like faith. You would think that that would be understood by most believers. But alas, it is not, and they have to learn the hard way sometimes. Number two, don't take an oath or make promises without understanding all the terms and conditions. So Eliezer is very good at this. He keeps pressing the issue. What about this, and what about that? What if she doesn't want to come? And on and on he goes until he gets it all, you know, Organize A, B, C, and so forth, what he's to do under various circumstances that may arise. Number three, prayer, as in the case of Eliezer, could always reflect, should always reflect, rather, the one we serve as stewards. You remember Christ's prayer to his heavenly Father. It was what? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Even Jesus prayed that way. 
thy will be done. And then the fourth lesson we learned is that Christ Jesus, the servant of the Lord of hosts, courts his bride bearing gifts of sacrificial love. The dowry that he gave for the church was his own life's blood. Wow. By which he bought forgiveness and eternal life for all who trust him. Well, today we return to Genesis 24. I told you it was a long chapter, and and there's a lot in here. We want to look today at this whole thing about a husband for Rebecca. We're kind of in the marriage mode here, these last couple lessons, but that's okay. Important for us to take to heart. Let's pray as we come. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God that you address all of the particulars of life. And in this case, marriage, establishing a family, what's right, what should be our goal, what should be our responsibility, and why. And we thank you that you do not pull any punches, but you tell us exactly what you expect. We bless you for that. We don't want to operate in the dark. We want to operate in the light. And how can we do that unless you have spoken? But you have spoken. And here recorded for us by Moses, the author of Genesis, we find these truths come to light. Bless our time together. And for those that aren't here today, bless them as well. Pray if they're sick, that you will heal them. Lord, this COVID is just wreaking havoc in our country. And it's affecting our church as well. Not saying that I know that to be the case for everyone that's sick, but some are. And I pray that your healing power will be upon us, that we might better serve you. It's hard when we're sick and when we're not functioning on all cylinders, so to speak. Uh, But, Lord, if you will heal us, uh, then, of course, we will be better suited to serve. We'll praise you for it in Christ's name. May you get the glory. Amen. We're looking at the subject, a husband for Rebecca, from Genesis 24. We note firstly that Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, reasons for Rebecca to become Isaac's bride, Isaac being Abraham's son. Verse 28 tells us that Rebecca ran off to rehearse all that had happened with her and Eliezer at the well. And I think she was somewhat excited because she just left Eliezer and his entourage standing there at the well, verse 30, which is where Laban, her brother, later found them. So she's excited. She just (laughs) forgets uh, the normal hospitality. Off she goes. She had a story to tell. And she wasted no time doing so. Well, Laban, her brother, was no dummy. When he saw the gold nose ring and the bracelets that Rebecca was wearing, when he heard her tale, he put two and two together, and he concluded that Rebecca was being wooed as a possible bride for his uncle's son. The fact that Laban conducted the inquiry shows that As Rebecca's brother, he came alongside of her 
to advise her to protect her from making a careless or foolish decision. So it is Laban who is checking out Eliezer's pitch for a bride for Isaac. Rebekah's father, Bethuel, and her mother, they're back at the homestead awaiting Eliezer's arrival. So that's kind of the background of what's going on here. Being the good host that they were, Laban had Eliezer's cargo unloaded from the camels, and the animals were bedded and fed. Water was brought to wash the feet of the travelers, verse 32. That's an oriental custom. A meal was prepared for Eliezer and his man, but Eliezer refused to eat. Here's why he said, verse 33, I will not eat until I have told you what I have to say. I mean, business is business. Let's get this out of the way, first and foremost. Laban wisely solicited Eliezer to speak his mind. Go ahead. So Eliezer rehearsed all the events which had led him to the town of Nahor, verse 10. And yes, he was looking at Rebekah as a potential bride for Isaac because in the providence of God, of all the women who came out of the city to draw water, Rebekah passed Eliezer's test with flying color. What test? Look at verse 44. If a maiden comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar, and if she says to me, drink, and I'll draw water for your camels too, let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. So that's kind of a fleece. You know, you put out, I want to know for sure if the girl that I'm hoping to find here in Ur is really God's choice for Isaac or not. When Eliezer finished his account, only one thing remained. Would Rebekah's guardians, her father Bethuel, her mother and her brother Laban, would they agree to the marriage of Rebekah to Isaac? Verse 49. Now if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me. So I may know which way to turn. Genesis 24, verse 49. Good news, bad news, I need to hear what your decision is. Now, brethren, there's a lot to consider here in terms of the Oriental society that we're reading about and how things went back then. Isaac may be looking for a bride, but is Rebecca looking for a husband? That's to be considered. God's providence, I mean, it seems to have smiled on the whole mission. But how would Bethuel and Laban and Rebekah's mother, how would they react to losing Rebekah to a family member who lived 700 miles away? I want you to think about that. 
<laughs> we think nothing of driving that distance to see family or friends. We can do it in a day. But for Rebecca's family, the distance, the distance was so prohibitive that it was very likely they will never see her again. Think about that. Rebecca, verse 16, is described as very beautiful, a virgin, no man had ever lain with her, which is the Bible's way of saying that she lived a morally pure life and that she had never had been previously married. Two things about that. All of which indicates that she met the holy qualifications for a godly bride. But even with all these uh, pluses, the final decision to seal the marriage approval had to rest with Rebecca herself. Listen to the answer Laban and Bethuel give to Eliezer, verse 50. They say, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or another. Take her and go. Let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. Now, brethren, this is their answer to the working of God and leading Eliezer to their door. It sounds so definitive, doesn't it? So final. It's a done deal, as we would say. Oh, but it's not a done deal. It is not a done deal because no one knows what Rebecca thinks about all of this. And what is more, once the family had a night to sleep on it, there is some reservation that they may have rushed things a little bit. And so they begin to apply the brakes. Verse 55, uh, what, what, what about a, maybe like a 10 day? We'll let her go after 10 days. Now let me tell you, this is a believer's way of handling marriage in, these, in this day. This is not the oriental. Dad sets up the marriage. He hooks up the daughter with a would-be husband, and that's it. That's the Arab world of their day. But this is the Christian world. And so you, you see a lot of give and take with regard to all of this, and wonder what the Lord wants in all of this. And I wonder if Rebecca is willing to go this distance and so on and so on. So that brings us to her decision. Eliezer, upon hearing Bethuel and Laban's response, namely, this is from the Lord, they say, Rebecca's yours, take her, have her marry Isaac. He bowed down in reverence to the Lord's providence, verse 52. Next, he opened the treasure chest of the good things he had brought as a dowry for the intended bride. Verse 53, gold and silver jewelry, clothing for Rebecca, costly gifts for Laban and her mother. So everyone began to settle down 
around a good meal, and then off for a night of sleep. Next morning, Eliezer is eager to hit the road and get on his way. Verse 54, but there's a hitch. Laban and Rebekah's mother begin to have, mm, I don't know, they're having second thoughts. Maybe they've been oh, a little bit too hasty here. They've agreed to wedding plans for Rebecca without asking her what she thought. They've thrown a betrothal party with food and drink, as the context shows. They've accepted the gifts of the dowry. <laughs> but is this blind date for matrimony, is this something Rebecca is willing to do? I mean, this has happened so fast, so furious. Maybe maybe a 10-day a cool-down period would be a good thing. Verse 55. But Eliezer, the servant of Abraham, he's not having any of that. It has been well over a month since he and his caravan had left Ebron to arrive at Ur. He knows Isaac. He knows Abraham are awaiting his return. So it's something like this. You guys agreed to the marriage, so why delay me? I have to be on my way. Verse 57. Then they said, Well, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and they asked her, Will you go with this man? And she answered, I will, I will go. I will go. I want you to think about the mail order brides that happened to our soldiers in the day of the Korean War in particular. They were stationed in a foreign country. They met women there. They married them there. And they wanted to take them back home, home being the United States. That meant ripping them away from their parents and their family. Can you see how adventurous this was for Rebecca? Rebecca is referred to a number of times in this account as the girl, verse 28. Verse 57 says, a young female. King James Version says, a damsel. That is, a marriageable young woman. Very likely, Rebecca was in her late teens, early 20s. When she married Isaac, Isaac is age 40. Genesis 25, verse 20. Wow. We here, see here that age is not always an indicator of maturity. There are young people who are wise beyond their years, and there are older people who after many years are yet fools who cannot make wise and sensible decisions in life. 
Well, Rebecca assessed all the possibilities, the pros, the cons of traveling to a distant land to marry a stranger, and she concluded, I will go. I will go. She had the final say, which I would say here is rather unusual for an Oriental society. In fixed marriages, the people involved don't have any say. The mom and dads from both sides of the fence get together and say, your daughter's going to marry my son. That's the way it's going to be. You agree? Yes, I agree. Think we should ask them? No. They are not asked. It's just a done deal. <coughs> but we're talking about a godly community here. So they give decision to her with that decided delay was no longer an option and so the goodbyes were said along with pronounced blessings from the Lord she was pronounced to be the mother of many verse 60 she was given her household maids as traveling companions verse 66 they mounted their camels and off they went towards Palestine That brings us next to Isaac's anticipation for his bride and Rebecca's eagerness for her groom. <clears throat> Isaac was living in the Negev. That's the southern part of Palestine. It's below Jerusalem and so forth. It's not the best part of Palestine. It's rather scrubby land and things of that nature. But it had grazing pastures there and so that's where he was. One evening he went out into the field to meditate. The Hebrew here means he went out there to contemplate. Okay, what was he thinking about? Maybe, just maybe. He was thinking of his upcoming marriage. If, if and when Eliezer returned with a bride, we don't know what he was thinking. But it's at least a logical conjecture. What we do know is that he looked up over the field, verse 63, and there in the distance was this camel caravan approaching. Could this be his bride coming to meet him? Was that Eliezer on the lead camel? Verse 64 says, Rachel also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel. She asked the servant, Who's that man in the field coming to meet us? Which tells us that once Isaac saw the camels coming, he surmised, Oh, this must be Eliezer. And he started out to meet the caravan. Eagerly he went out to greet the caravan and just... As eagerly, Rebekah dismounted her camel, covered her face with a veil, and ran towards Isaac. Two betrothed lovers racing towards their destiny with eager anticipation of beginning life together as a married couple and establishing their own family. Remember now, there had been no time for courtship. No time to get to know one another. 
Their families were related, but that's as much as they knew. By all intent and purposes, they were just strangers. Sinatra's song, Strangers in the Night, Exchanging Glances, Wondering in the Light, What Were the Chances? We'd be sharing love before the night was through. Something in your eyes was so inviting. Something in your smile was so exciting. Something in my heart told me I must have you. Strangers in the night, two lonely people. We were strangers in the night up to the moment when we said our first hello. Little did we know, love was just a glance away, a warm embracing dance away and ever since that night we've been together lovers at first sight in love forever it turned out so right for strangers in the night verse 66 says of Isaac he married Rebekah so she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, brethren, this has been an arranged marriage from the get-go, orchestrated on behalf of Isaac by his servant Eliezer, and on behalf of Rebekah by her brother Laban and her father Bethuel, but it was God ordained, and that is why he, it was so complete. The two strangers be, became one through marriage. What a love story. You know your pastor's an incurable <laughs> romantic who still misses his sweetheart. Four years after her home going with the Lord. What lessons may we derive from God's superintendence of our lives? You mean God is so interested in our lives that he's moving us towards a bride or a groom as the case may be? place where we're going to live, a vocation that we're going to do, da, 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 da. we go on with all these questions. What are some of the lessons of God's superintendence of our lives? Because that's exactly what it is. He's superintending over our lives. We think, hey, it's my life. I'm going to do what I want to do. You are not. If you're God's child, you're going to do what God wants you to do. Say, well, what if I don't want to do it? Then you're going to get spanked. We're going to have a trip to the woodshed and have an attitude adjustment. The attitude adjustment is, thy will be done, O Lord. Not my will, but yours. It's what it means to be under the servitude of Christ. Now, he's a loving master. Nothing about it can be said otherwise. But we're stubborn sometimes. And sometimes we have to learn the hard way 
that it's God's way or the highway. So we know that God's providence is a safe guide to God's will if, if it does not run contrary to God's revealed word. Now I put that caveat in there. Listen to this. Providence is safe so long, so long as it does not run contrary to God's revealed will in his word. As Christians, we do not believe in, nor do we promote, such things as lady luck, chance, one's fortune, the draw of the cards, the roll of the dice, lucky stars, and many, many other irrational attempts to explain the seemingly unplanned for happenings of life. We don't look to any of that. There's no such thing as the impersonal finger of fate to guide us. No fortune predicted in the pattern of the stars. No pathway for life charted in the zodiac. That's all pagan thought. Solomon writes in Proverbs 16 verse 9, In the heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Go ahead, make your plans. But the Lord's going to determine where you step. How you go. Or again, Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs 19, 21. I want you to observe that in both these verses, nothing is said necessarily that the one making plans is a believer. Doesn't say that. No, it says, a man plans, but the Lord determines his steps. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but only God's purpose prevails. When this superintendence of God is found in the believer's life, we call it providence. Well, what is providence? The basic etymology of the word means to provide. You can see that in the word itself. So providence has to do with God manipulating circumstances to open a provision, a pathway for our conduct. The caveat in all of this is that providence must be tempered by the revealed will of God in his word. Get it now. Providence has a check on it. And that's whatever is revealed in the Word of God. So you can't just flip around on providence and say, well, God must be in this because such and such happened. Let me give you an example. When David took a stroll at night on his roof, he saw Bathsheba taking a bath. This incited his lusts, which led to adultery, as you know. So in this case, providence, circumstances, seem to be smiling 
upon his immorality. I mean, think of it. He wasn't planning adultery. He was just out on an evening stroll. The woman thought she was alone in private as she bathed. So the circumstances might be misconstrued to mean that, oh, God has made provision, providence, for David's adultery. That providence was favoring David's lust. But this is an erroneous use of providence. You can't do that. In such cases, providence is a test of your fidelity to God, not a green light from God to go ahead and proceed. So why do you know that? Well, because God in his revealed will for mankind says you shall not commit adultery, Exodus 20, verse 14. And verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his men's servant, or his maidservant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That's how we know. So the revealed will of God trumps providence every time. Every time. In the case of Eliezer, concluding that Rebekah was God's choice of a bride for Isaac, Many factors confirmed God's providential leading. Firstly, there was the camel test. I'm calling it the camel test. In answer to Eliezer's prayer that the girl of God's choosing would offer to water all his thirsty camels without him having to ask her to do it. That's exactly what happened. Where's the likelihood of that? We are talking hours of her tromping down to the well, getting a bucket of water, come up, fill the trough, back down again to feed all these thirsty camels. I talked about that last week. They can drink up to 30 gallons each. Then there was the revelation from Rebecca's own mouth that she, of all the women going out to the well to draw water, was in fact Abraham's niece. I mean, how, how often is that going to happen? She just happens to be Abraham's niece. But no, it just didn't happen. God was in that. And number three, what about the fact that Rebecca's brother, her father, her mother concluded, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Verse 50. So there's unanimous agreement among the God-fearing parties. Well, I like this. There's nothing hasty about any of this. There's nothing mm, a little on the rocky side. They're thinking through it all. And then, finally, Rebecca's own willingness to travel back with Eliezer when all she had to do was say, No, I'm not going. 
that had happened, Eliezer would have been freed from his oath, but God had indeed sent his angel beforehand, giving Eliezer success finding the right bride for Isaac, verse 7, verse 40 in our text. So that's providence and confirmation of, of God's word. That's how we're directed in life. That's how. Secondly, we learn here that believers can be counted on for godly counsel and aid. I like this. Rebecca's brother, along with her parents, played an intricate role in discovering the godly course for Rebecca. When Rebecca reported what had occurred at the well, we read, as soon as he, that's Laban, her brother, had seen the nose ring and the bracelets of gold on his sister's arm and had heard Rebecca tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Genesis 24, verse 30 through 32. The gold jewelry was the tip-off to Laban that something serious was in the works concerning his sister. So he wasted no time to get to the bottom of it. It was also Laban, verse 33 and following, who sat patiently while Eliezer rehearsed all the events of that afternoon from the time he met Rebecca to the time she ran home to tell the family what had happened. So it was the entire family who agreed to discover the mind of Rebecca in this whole matter. Will you go with this man? They had done their homework. Now it came down to Rebecca. Brethren, this is more than family nosiness into Rebecca's business. No, the spiritual element is highlighted. Look at verse 50. This is from the Lord, they said. They concluded. And after a night of sleep on it, the family posed a 10-day waiting period to see if this was something Rebecca really wanted to do. So all the way through, they are protecting her interests, and my point is that they had her best interests in view. The psalmist says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 15, verse 22. Or again, perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Proverbs 27, verse 9. But we must choose our friends wisely because the psalmist also warns, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the, day in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his, his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2. Paul wrote, Do not be misled. Bad company 
corrupts good character, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. And what is he saying? He's saying wrong friends can pull you down instead of building you up. They can give you wicked and self-seeking advice that neither is for your good nor for God's glory. But godly counselors, they're, they're a plus. And that's what's going on in this family. I like to see that. That is wonderful. So thirdly, God preserved Rebecca for Isaac. She was not snatched up by some other suitor. You ever do people watching? I do it. Say, well, then you're nosy. No, I'm just trying to learn. Go to the mall sometimes. I used to do this with Donna. She would want to shop. I'd get tired, so I'd just want to sit. So I would sit on one of those benches out in the middle of the mall while Donna finished her shopping. Or you could go to any public place and just sit there and watch the people as they parade by. You can tell a lot. You'll see overweight people like me. (laughs) Skinny people, beautiful people, homely looking people, intellectually astute people. Not too bright people. Impeccably dressed people. Sloppy moppy people dressed in dirty t-shirts and grungy jeans. Well-mannered people. And crude and lewd people. All kinds of people. From every walk of life and every kind of background. And there they are, paired together in some of the most unlikely combinations imaginable. And we wonder, ooh, how did she end up with him? In Rebecca's case, she is a young woman. And Isaac is 40 years old. Think of this. That would almost be scandalous in our day. Our culture would say, there's something funny about that. Right? My point is that God has a partner of the opposite sex awaiting for each of you young men and women. You can pray about it. You should pray about it. But you should not fret about it. As you stick to godly principles, believer marrying believer, marrying within the faith, seeking the Lord's will and prayer, listening to the counsel of godly friends and relatives, God will bring his chosen mate into your life right on schedule. That's not to say that our romances always lead to wise choices. But even if we're not as discerning as we should be, God has a way of leading us out of our self-inflicted heartaches through repentance and renewed faith. Some may have to look back on failed marriages and admit they rushed into something without weighing all the consequences. And now they, there's regret. Now there's heartache. 
But even so, it need not remain that way. Divorce is not the unpardonable sin any more than is adultery or homosexuality. With true repentance comes God's genuine renewal, and the renewal may lead to the godly mate that you passed over earlier in life. I have people in my own family that's that's true. That's what happened to them. They rushed into something. The marriage was an absolute failure. God granted them repentance, brought them out of that, and now they're going on with their life. So marriage is serious. Never be in a rush about it. Especially is this the case in dangerous times. Paul told the believers at Corinth, because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for you to remain as you are. And what is, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm, I'm thinking because things are so bad, you should not marry right now. The present crisis? What's the present crisis, Paul? Please tell us. Well, he does. Emperor Nero was arresting Christians and burning them on crosses as lanterns to illuminate the streets of Rome. That's a pretty terrible crisis. And so... Paul explains himself. What I mean, brothers, I'm reading him. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. But those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not happy. Those who buy something as if they were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in those things. For this world, in its present form, this is Paul, it's passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. 1 Corinthians 7, 29 and following. So look to God's lead. If marriage, yeah, then God has your soulmate waiting for you. You don't have to fret about it. But even in times of stress, if you marry, Paul says, you have not sinned, but you're going to have it tough. If they're burning Christians on crosses and you decide to marry, when that's going on, you're putting yourself in danger and your wife. So you need to think about that. Fourthly, we learn to love or not to love is choice and not simply a matter of feelings. I wish Christians could get a hold of this. Are you a little surprised at the statement in verse 67? So she, that is Rebecca, became Isaac's wife and Isaac loved her. What? How can this be? He just met the girl. Come on. This is an arranged marriage implemented in a far country with Uncle Laban and his father, Abraham. 
There has been no dating. There's been no conversation. There's been no letters in the mail. There's been no commendation by friends. As noted earlier, Rebecca and Isaac were just utter strangers. That's true. That is really true. But Isaac can be said to have loved Rebecca because love is a choice as well as a feeling. This is why the Bible can command us to love one another, which it does. We're commanded to love our enemies. Now, is God saying, I want you to feel love for your enemies? No. Feelings cannot be commanded. You either feel love <clears throat> for someone or you don't. But no one can dictate what you are to feel about someone. I want you to feel love for so-and-so. <clears throat> That's ridiculous. But love can be and is commanded. Let me read some of it. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's not optional. It's our duty. We're to love God like that. Deuteronomy 10, verse 19. You are to love those who are aliens. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Hmm. There's a step harder an alien. Now wait a minute. They might have brown skin. They might have kinky hair. They may have slanted eyes. You sure about that? Read that again. Okay, I will. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Deuteronomy 10, verse 19. And Paul writes it this way, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandments there are, are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13, verse 9. Whoa. So let me ask this question. How is this love possible? If it isn't feelings, what, what is involved in this kind of love that can be commanded? He who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Proverbs 17, verse 9. There's no feeling here. Just the willingness to think the best and say the best about another person that you know. And the Bible is saying that's loving them. That's loving them. That's love in action. Again, Proverbs 19, verse 22. What a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. 
What do we know about a liar? A liar will destroy love. Yeah. By ruining a person's reputation. And the psalmist is saying it's better to be poor than a person that lies and destroys love. Jesus put it this way. I tell you, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. How does he love? He causes his son, S-U-N, to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I'm still reading Jesus' words. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, verse 44 and In all these scriptures, a fuller definition of love is given than simply love feelings. That is to say, love is love actions. It's like covering over offenses or refusing to lie to or about someone, praying for those who persecute you. Those are all love actions. But you ask, well now, shouldn't people who marry have love feelings for one another? Uh Who wants to be united for life to someone who's cold emotionally, dispassionate sexually, derogatory in speech, distant in affection, judgmental of every endeavor, and poison tongue every verbal expression of comes out of their mouth. I don't want to be married to anyone like that. It is true that none of this is a display of love. And if this ongoing and relentless, love will not simply die, it will be murdered. Hatred is not love. John wrote, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. 1 John 3 verse 15. So what's the answer if you are in a relationship where there is little love feelings? How can feelings of love be kindled? Can such animosity and bitterness become romantic love? Jesus tells us. Sell your possessions, give to the poor, provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Oh. 
Here's a principle. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Heart speaking of your love. Simply put, where you invest time and money and energy and work, what you value, what you spend the lion's share of your time and effort on, that's your treasure. And whatever that treasure is, be it heaven, a favorite activity, your new car, a relationship as in a spouse or a friend or a family member, there your heart will be also. There's no shortcut to this. Love feelings are not sustainable if the only thing you've got going for you is a handsome body or a shapely figure because those things change with age or illness. Love feelings are sustainable only through concerted love actions. What I am saying is that Isaac chose to love Rebecca. He chose to love her. And she him. Yes, it was a marriage ordained by heaven. But these two came into the relationship committed to God and committed to each other. We need to choose love as well. None of this, well, you either love somebody or you don't. That's the way the world talks. Is that what God's word tells us as believers? Well, you can either love her or you don't have to. You can either love him or you don't have to. No, we're told to love the brethren. We're told to love our parents. We're told to love the church. We're told to love our spouse. These are all commands. They're not... Mm. how we do that is that love is displayed in actions let the kindness flow let us build up the treasure in that person and you'll find your heart will go there There's so much that practical in the Word of God. It's not all pie in the sky. Not any pie in the sky. God is giving us practical, biblical ways of doing what He commands us to do. You say, well, this sounds like love is work. Yeah, it is. It's work. You don't just say, well... You either love somebody or you don't. Well, if you don't, you can learn to love that person. And if you're a believer, you need to learn to love. Else the church will fail in its mission to display the love of Christ in the cross of Calvary, where he loved enemies that hated him hated God and through that sacrificial love 
build a church based upon truth and righteousness, incorporated into it his people, we that are loved, for whom he died. Paul says, greater love has no man than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. Lord, we just pray that you will help us to get the reality of this. We're not left alone to struggle with this whole concept of loving one another. One of our hymns says, They'll know we are Christians by our love. And they'll know our hypocrisy too when we claim to be loving people and we aren't. We're not talking about love feelings at this point. We're just talking about a practical love that demonstrates itself in doing good and being helpful and serviceable to the brethren. And in that way, to declare to the world, there is a community that knows how to love. I pray that you will help us to do that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, with thanksgiving. Amen. Okay, our closing hymn is 535 in Trinity. Five three five. When you find the hymn, will you stand with me? Five thirty five in the Trinity.
Our Lord, we're thankful for your deep, deep love. Sacrificial love. Not even giving the cross a second thought. Who would want to die for your enemies like that? Shed your blood, your life. For those who hate you. Yet you did. And by that set an example for us. We're to love equally. By being sacrificial towards those we say we love. Might help us to remember that we didn't always have a high view of God. And we certainly didn't have an obedient faith that trusted Jesus. He called us. He led us. But we weren't following so we must remember that there are our relatives and friends and neighbors and so on that we're having a rough time with sometimes. They're in the same path that we were in. They're not showing love. They're maybe hostile to us as family members or whatever. It's not the best way to live. But if God gets a hold of them, if the gospel touches their heart with the grace that's found in Jesus... They can be changed like we were changed. We're not unique in that. We need to pray that God would send his Holy Spirit. And I do pray. Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon our unsaved loved ones and friends, our neighbors next door, our nation, our leaders. May a great revival break out that the gospel might again show itself mighty to change people's lives. For the glory of Jesus we pray these things with thanksgiving. Amen. Remember tonight, 6 o'clock downstairs for our evening study.